stand for the reading of the word. The reading today is from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We, employ, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Morning, Arcadia. Glad to see you all here this morning. Uh, fourth through sixth graders may be dismissed. I did it. I remembered it. I wrote it in my notes. That's why I remembered it. Okay. Well, if you are brand new with us, we're glad that you are here. This is our one of two choir Sundays during the year. So uh, if you're coming back next week expecting a choir, we'll have a great band, but no choir. Just wanted to let you know that. Um, and if you are new, my name is Frank, and I'm one of the pastors here. Four pastors here, another nine staff members, um, wonderful staff to work with. And um, if you're wondering where you are, you're in one of the Redemption Churches. Redemption Church is one church with ten congregations all throughout Phoenix. But we, each congregation is locally led with live preaching and a local board of elders and a local staff. Uh, we are gospel-centered and outward-focused, and that we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And I do have a few announcements before we get into our message for today and continue in our series on the aspects of Jesus. It's our Advent series this year. The first one is that if you have a student uh, in your family and you're looking for a camp to send them away to in January so that you might have a little peace and quiet, we have something for you. Uh, January 21st through 23rd, we are having a retreat for uh, students that uh, Trey Fraley, our student pastor, our next-gen pastor, is helping to lead. It's actually going to be five or six of the Redemption congregations coming together and going up that weekend to Lost Canyon. And so um, we'd love for you to register um, your uh, older child, a, a student, uh, for this camp. But um, you should probably sign up fast because in January, if you wait to January to sign up, the price actually goes up. So right now, it's a bargain. It's only $199. Isn't that right? Right now, if you sign up now? Okay. It's kind of like running a marathon. You get better prices the earlier you sign up. So anyway, uh, that's uh, our youth camp. We're, we're really excited about that. Here's another announcement. This is going to take a little bit more time, sorry to say. And it's a very, not that this wasn't a serious announcement, Trey, but... <laughs> This is a very serious announcement, we, as, and I want you to listen closely, especially if you're a regular and committed part of this uh, local congregation here. 
Uh, we've been working very hard in the last year to uh, continue to advance the leadership of, of this church. And the elders have been talking and the pastors have been talking. And so we are pleased to announce today that we have two new elders on deck. Now, I'm trying to use some baseball terminology here. I hope I get it right because I'm not a baseball player. But we have two on deck and one in the hole. Is that right? The, the, is, that, is that right? Okay, good. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we have two on deck. The two on deck are actually two of our pastors, Tyler James and Tyler Thompson. And so we're announcing that today. And on Wednesday, Wednesday January 19th, we are going to have an event here where Steve Wheeler, who's on the elder board, and myself are going to have kind of a conversation with the two Tylers to let you get to know them more if you don't already know them. So we'll be doing that Wednesday night from like 6.30 to 7.45 on Wednesday the 19th. And then um, if everything goes well, this is sort of the vetting process, if everything goes well, there will be a Sunday in February 2022 where we will install them and consecrate them as elders. So I wanted to talk a little bit about who's on deck, too, because some of you might be asking the legitimate question, well, if you're, if you're going to make the other two pastors besides yourself elders, what about Trey? So Trey is in the conversation as well. Trey also said that he just felt like maybe he needed a little bit more time to go through the uh, elder process that we take people through. Um, we believe at Redemption Church that every male should be uh, should aspire to be qualified to be an elder, though not everyone is going to be qualified. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not everyone is going to be an elder. Everyone should aspire to be uh, 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 qualified to be an elder. Trey is certainly qualified to be an elder. How old are you, 28 now? Yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, I have always said that Trey is like a 60-year-old guy trapped in a 28-year-old's body. Because he's mature beyond his years and he draws from a deep well. And even you can see the maturity in him saying, I think I just need a little bit more time. So maybe in the next year or year and a half, uh, Trey will be the next one um, coming up. But um, we're, we're in process with that and, and working with Trey on that so that eventually all four of the pastors are going to be on the elder team. But we still stand united as a, uh, a group of four pastors who are leading this church, and we're pleased to be able to do that. So uh, elders that are coming on board, hopefully in February, mark your calendars for Wednesday, January um, 19th, and, and uh, come and, and be a part of that as well. One other announcement is that we also have two new deacons joining our uh, deacon body. So Josh and Stephanie Perot have agreed to join our deacon body, and we are going to be having a, um, an installment and consecration uh, service for them during the January Sunday, January 9th uh, worship services on Sunday morning. So if you know Josh and, and uh, Stephanie, Stephanie is actually in the choir this morning. Josh is sitting out there listening to her lovely voice. So uh, a lot going on in terms of the leadership of the church, and we're very, very excited about that. So if you have any questions about that, you can uh, email me or, or uh, one of the other elders, Joe Ponce, Nick, Nick Oviedo, uh, Steve Wheeler, or Jim Moreland. So we're in the midst of a four-week series, an Advent series. Uh, we're, we're calling it The Aspects of Jesus. I know it's not a very uh, exciting title. Is something wrong? What? Yeah, I have that on my list here, but I'm not getting to it yet, okay? <laughs> you know, I forget one thing like four Sundays ago, and <laughs> I've been branded, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, thanks, I got it. I'll get there. Um, so, we're doing this Advent series. 
Um, during the year, all of the redemption churches preach through the same, that's dangerous, preach through the same preaching calendar, except a couple of times a year, one of them is Advent, where each of the con- local congregations kind of does uh, their own thing. And so we're doing the aspects of Jesus. Now, the first question is, what is Advent? In case you don't know what Advent was, I was a believer in Jesus for like 10 years, but I was part of a church that never gave any uh, kudos to Advent, so I had no idea what, I got, I got into a different church, and I was, everybody's talking about Advent, I don't know what that is, and I'm a pastor. So anyway, Advent is the arrival of a notable person or event, and so Jesus is a notable person. It was an Advent when he arrived the first time, it will be an Advent when he arrives the second time, and the event of him arriving is also notable. When he arrives the second time, which we're looking towards and we're hoping for, when he arrives that second time, he's ushering in the new Jerusalem and the restoration of all creation. It'll be a great time. So the first, <clears throat> the first week of the series, on November 28th, we looked at the incarnation of Jesus, literally the enfleshment of God. He, God became flesh. He became a person. It's the miracle that makes all other miracles possible, according to C.S. Lewis. We had that quote in there, which was an interesting quote, because a lot of us wrestled with that quote for a while. Is that really true? Is the incarnation really the miracle that makes all the others possible. And after a while, we came to the conclusion that C.S. Lewis probably knows more than we do, so we agreed with him. And then the second week, last week, Tyler Thompson preached on sacrifice. And, and he went through a passage in the book of Hebrews, which is a magnificent book in the Bible. We referenced that in the first week, too. But then Tyler made the wonderful transition also of saying, because... Uh, Jesus was a sacrifice for us, we then become living sacrifices. And he took us into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Today, we talk about new creation. In Christ, we have new creation, and you and I are new creations in Christ. I like to call the new creation the reverse of the curse of sin. And then next week, we're going to talk about sanctification, which is a big word, but don't worry, we'll explain it all uh, next week. Now, as for Christmas Eve, <laughs> we're going to be uh, going back to our normal Christmas Eve kind of uh, uh, schedule. We're going to have two services, one at 3.30 and one at 5. Over the years in Arcadia, we have found that those times just seem to work best for uh, our congregation. We've tried having those 9, 10, or 11 o'clock at night services, and essentially staff is here and nobody else. So we get the hint. We're going to go 3.30 and 5. Those services last about 55 minutes, uh, lots of music in those services. And then I just want to say that Sunday, Janu- uh, Sunday, December 26th, we are going to have our normal Sunday morning services, 9 and 1045. We recognize that most of you might be out returning Christmas presents, but just know that we're here if you want to stop by and hear a message out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's what we're going to be doing. All right, let me pray and then we'll get into uh, today's message on new creation. Father God, we're, we're grateful that um, you have given us everything. Uh, you've given us your word. You've given us your son. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. You've give us, given us songs to sing. You've given us aspiration. You've taught us about also how to be content. And so God, um, you really have given us everything. And as we look to the one who gives everything, Jesus, as we study him again today, I just pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds. You'd help us to understand that this is really great news. That for those who are in Christ, there is no, now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ, 
We are new creations. So God, help us to hear that today. We welcome your Holy Spirit today. Fill us, illuminate the word for us, teach us. And as always, just move me out of the way so that you might work today, God. For your glory and our good, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Madonna, the, the singer, the entertainer, just want to make that clear that I'm talking about the entertainer, Madonna. Uh, one of the reasons that she has endured for so long in her career is that she has been able to effectively, at certain points in her career, she is, some of you are like, you really follow Madonna? Yeah, kind of, a little bit, all right? A league of their own? Okay, anyway, so one of the reasons that she's been so effective in her career is that she's able to effectively remake herself every few years. Those of you that know Madonna, haven't you noticed that? She, she sort of recreates herself. She remakes herself. She rebrands herself. And that's one of the reasons that she has endured for decades as an entertainer and as a singer. She has the ability to make herself new. I will say, I bet none of you ever thought I'd talk about Madonna during a sermon, but I just did, okay? Anyway, this concept of remaking, of makeover, extreme makeover, of redesigning, the idea of new and improved, and we're going to make t-shirts to prove that we're new and improved. I mean, rebranding, all of that stuff, we value that, right? I mean, in the marketplace, you have to keep looking constantly at rebranding, at, at remaking yourself, at making sure that you're, you're staying up. We value those things. The problem is, of course, in this world, it's all temporal. It's all temporal. I respect, I really do respect what Madonna has done to prolong her career. But the problem is, is that she has to keep remaking herself, and she's actually perishing. Madonna is, now she may not realize that, but she is perishing. Her endeavor is temporal, and she's never going to get it perfect, and she's never going to get it permanent. It just doesn't happen. In other words, here you go. She is playing a finite game. She's playing a finite game. And here's the truth about that. Absent Jesus in our lives, we're all playing a finite game. That's the problem. That's the challenge. And as a result, playing a finite game, we may have some short-term victories. And that's good. We should celebrate those short-term victories. I would never say those short-term victories are bad or wrong or that we shouldn't celebrate them. We will have some short-term victories. But long-term, eternal, infinite victories without Jesus can't happen, won't happen, doesn't happen. And really, ultimately, that's the most important victory that any of us should be aspiring to is this infinite victory in Christ. Prior to Advent, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and, and for the weeks prior to Advent, we went through chapters 14 through 16, which is Jesus' last night with his disciples before the crucifixion, his famous last words. So one question that could be asked of that discourse that he gives his disciples during that time is what, what was he trying to get accomplished during that discourse? What was he doing? And I would argue that he was playing the long game. He was playing the infinite game when he was there. He wasn't talking about temporal things to his disciples. 
He wasn't talking about much of the conversation that occupies so much of our time, either in, in real synchronic communication or online. He was talking about eternal, infinite things. And he was trying to prepare his disciples and anybody who would follow his disciples, in other words, us, he was trying to prepare his disciples not for short-term finite victories, but for the infinite, infinite truth of God and his wisdom. And let's remember what happened on the cross. We know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were people down looking up at him, walking by him, who were mocking him, who were spitting on him, who were making fun of him, who were jeering him. And essentially what they were saying was, ha ha, you lose, we win. And we don't have it recorded, but I can't imagine that Jesus isn't hanging on the cross and thinking, you have no idea because I am playing a completely different game. I'm playing an infinite game. You may have won this one small finite victory, but in three days you're going to realize that there's something infinite and eternal that's going on because I'm going to come busting out of that grave and then I'm going to ascend to the Father and then at some point I'm going to come back again and bring in the new Jerusalem and restore the created beauty that we had in Genesis chapters 1 and two. And so a little bit of theological groundwork. I want to talk a little bit about Genesis 1 and 2 before we get into our text for today. And it's interesting, as I was sitting in second service last week, listening to Tyler preach, Tyler also, for sacrifice, went back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's amazing to me how often in our messages here we go back to the beginning. And, I, and I'm sure the reason is because if you don't understand the beginning, you're going to have a hard time understanding the rest of the Bible. If you don't figure out Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the rest of this maybe won't make a lot of sense. But understanding it in light of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is helpful. So what happens in Genesis 1 and 2 is God creates this perfect paradise, this perfect, perfectly ordered creation. What he creates is ordered. What he creates makes sense. What he creates is beautiful. People called it paradise in, in terms of describing the narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. What he created was infinite. And then he places Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. And then in Genesis 3, things go south. Because God wanted to have a relationship with Adam and Eve, and a true relationship can't take place without the ability to break relationship, they broke relationship with him by disobeying the only command that he gave them. Don't eat of that one tree over there in the midst of hundreds of thousands of trees. Don't eat of that one over there. The adversary comes and tempts them. They fall for the temptation. They eat of the tree. And instantly, this infinite, ordered creation becomes disordered and broken. And in its new, disordered, broken state, it becomes finite. And as a result, we become finite as well in that sense that we are broken. And all, literally, on earth, all hell breaks loose. It's been said before that if you know Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're a person of faith in Christ, this world here is as close to real hell as you'll ever get. 
But if you don't know Jesus, this world here is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. That's what you're living in right now, depending on your perspective. And so what we have is this broken, disordered world, and there's going to be an end to this. It's not going to be abolished. We know from Revelation, the book of Revelation, that this world is not going to be abolished, but rather this world is going to be restored. Creation. The Creator is going to come and restore this creation and make it new. That's what's going to happen. So from Genesis chapter 3 all the way until the end of Malachi, and then for 400 more years, we have this perspective in Scripture that eventually God's Savior, God's Messiah, is going to come. The prophets talked about it. Even God talked about it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He gives a little hint about the fact that he already has this figured out, what he's going to do about the brokenness in this world. There's going to come a Messiah who is going to dominate, destroy the adversary, and we are going to be able to live in victory over sin, Satan, and death. And so finally, Jesus comes. He comes around 3 or 4 B.C., the year 3 or 4 B.C., and he gives us this foretaste of the eternal, the infinite renewal. He gives us this foretaste of restoration and beauty, and in his life and in his ministry, and then through his church and his disciples afterwards, we are invited into that new creation by becoming followers of Jesus. So, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, King Solomon writes about how God has placed eternity in our hearts. And again, it's this sort of shadowy rhetoric that says, you know that thing deep down in your soul that you pine for in this broken world? Everybody walks around looking, and living, looking at and living in this broken world going, there's just something not right. There's something better than this. There's got to be that perfection. And, and so many of us aspire to it and we try to get there and we have this ideal life. Well, Solomon is saying God put that in there to help point you to Jesus because that's where you find this perfect thing that your heart is pining for, that our hearts are aspiring to. And so Jesus comes and, and after Jesus' death and resurrection and, and ascension, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, and these are, these are words that we actually use when we baptize somebody. When you come to Christ, when you give your life to Christ, like I did uh, more than 34 years ago at North Phoenix Baptist Church, we're then called as, as an outward testimony of the inward reality of our salvation, we're then called to get baptized in our, in our faith community, and I was baptized at North Phoenix Baptist Church. And here are the words, uh, some of the words that we use. Paul writes this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So if you've ever been to one of our baptisms, you know that when, they, when, we, when we put the person into our baptismal, which I know looks like a horse trough, but we, when we put them in there, what we say is we say, you are now buried with Christ in his death. It's a picture of him going into the tomb, and you are now raised to walk in newness of life. 
We are new creations. And when you start to think about this, this doctrine or this theme or this principle of new creation, you begin to see it everywhere in Scripture. Because everything in Scripture is pointing to that through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's a beautiful thing. So, if you have your Bibles, please get out your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's easy to find in the New Testament. Find 1 Corinthians and then go a little bit further to your right. That's where it is. And unlike the first week when I was up here and I made you look for about 15 different um, passages, I'm only going to have you look for two. So find 2 Corinthians 5 and then go just a little bit further to your right to Ephesians chapter 4 and just put your finger in there or a paper clip or a bookmark or something because that's where we're going to end today. But we're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll reread what Brennan read for us. Starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I'm going to come back to that. That's important. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, sins, against them, and entrusting to us the message of of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We talked about that in the first week during incarnation, that the only way that um, we could have our sins atoned for by uh, the proper other uh, substitutionary sacrifice was if Christ was sinless. And so he was sinless. God made him God the Son, enfleshed into a human being, but sinless so that he could go to the cross for us for the sacrifice for the payment of our sins. And so Paul wraps that up in verse 21. But let's go back to verse 16. Now therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What does it mean to regard somebody according to the flesh? That's Paul's way of talking about how superficial we humans are, especially when it comes to valuing certain things, how superficial we are. It means means that we're only looking at the outer shell of something. You remember Jesus once said to the professional religious people, he said, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but I know what you're like on the inside, and the inside is what really counts. It's not that the outside is a problem or bad, It's just that we work so hard at sprucing up the outside in order to make ourselves look good even though we've got all kinds of problems on the inside. And God's really interested in our hearts. He's interested in our minds. He's interested in our souls. And so as a consequence, we value a person's appearance rather than his or her personhood. And it's his or her personhood that makes a person an image bearer of God, not their appearance. 
It's, it's just who they are. Everybody's an image bearer of God, but it's, but it's internally who we are. It's not our appearance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a passage right before this passage, Paul says this. He says, though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. You see the importance that God places on the inner self. Tom Schrader, our founding pastor, used to say of that verse, in other words, we're all destined to bag, sag, and drag, okay? However, God is interested in how we're doing internally. Are we growing in Christ? Are we living into this new creation that we are? And so shallow, superficial criteria is really big among us human beings. I mean, it's just true. Um, one author has called it social capital. We're very interested in social capital. How do we gather social capital for ourselves? There's all kinds of capital. We'd like financial capital or economic capital. Um, there's, there's, there's all of these resources that we're trying to gather. We, we, we value time capital, time resources. This author makes the argument that the most valuable capital in our lives today is social capital. In other words, how much influence do we have? What do other people think of us? What's the most important thing about you? Well, what somebody else thinks of me. How much influence do we have? How many followers do we have? When I speak, do people listen? Or am I the one that has to listen to somebody else speak? You realize that we now in our world have a career path for something called a social influencer. You realize that. It's, oh, there must be some social influencers in here because I'm getting some dirty looks. <laughs> you know, a social influencer is somebody who just inserts themselves and says, I like this and I don't like that, and everybody goes, oh, yay. That's pretty much the job description. I know if you're a social influencer, you're going to come at me and go, it's a lot deeper than that. No, it really isn't. <laughs> that's essentially what it is. But that's, that's regarding according to the flesh. It's, it's vapid, it's empty, it's superficial. Paul says, I used to regard Jesus that way. Paul was born about the same time as Jesus. Paul was running around Jerusalem as a professional religious person about the same time that Jesus was doing his ministry for three years. Paul was annoyed with Jesus and he regarded him according to the flesh. And he would look at Jesus, and the funny thing about it is that Paul knew the book of um, Isaiah probably better than anybody in Jerusalem, and yet he couldn't see through that Isaiah 53 was exactly who Jesus is. When men look upon Jesus, they didn't see this well-put-together guy who stood tall and had a square jaw and his hair was perfectly coiffed and, and said the right things at the right times. Jesus wasn't superficial. In fact, I imagine Paul looking at Jesus going, man, do something with your hair. And those sandals, those are like 30 years out of style, man. And Paul says, that's the way I used to regard Jesus. I used to regard him as kind of a lunatic or this stranger who had goofy ideas. Now he says, I regard Jesus as the Lord God, the creator of this universe. I regard him no longer according to the flesh. And then he says this, and he says, and I no longer regard others that way either. In this passage, Paul admits that he was just like you and me, looking around at everybody else and evaluating them in superficial ways. Paul 
as deep as he was, as educated as he was, as smart as he was, he was considered one of the smartest people ever to live in the first century. You can read the history on it. This guy was that smart, and he was just like us, regarding everybody else according to the flesh, according to superficialities. Paul was superficial as a professional religious person. And he says, I no longer regard others that way. I understand that they are image bearers of God, and they have souls, and they need Jesus, and they need fulfillment. It's a beautiful thing. He's saying... I regard everybody now to, uh, as these new creations that they are in Christ. So he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. That's how I now regard other people. I understand who they are in Christ, not who they are in my own eyes. And that's a beautiful thing. And he says, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. As you read the letters of Paul, you see so often how Paul talks about put off this and put on that. If you're in Christ, you're going to put off these old, broken, worldly ways, and you're going to put on the things that identify you with the new creation. Because you are a new creation. And he says, by the way, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you see this pattern? Jesus was made incarnate. He was enfleshed so that we also could become incarnational and go out. We are gospel-centered and outward-focused so that we um, uh, are incarnational in our ministry going out. The ministry doesn't just happen in these four walls of this church. In, uh, with the sacrifice, he sacrificed for us so that we might become living sacrifices. Now he says here, in in us being a new creation, we've been reconciled to God. Now he sends us out, God reconciling others to him through us. God is doing the work, but we are called to obedience to go and be these messengers and these agents of reconciliation. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, Tom, our, our founding pastor, his spiritual father was a guy named Larry Wright. I know there are a couple people in here who remember Larry. Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, Larry Wright. Just magnificent Bible teacher. Larry used to say all the time, as a Christian... Our job title is so impressive. We are ambassadors. But our job description, not so impressive. We're servants. We are ambassadors called to serve. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's, that's our encouragement to you today, too. God calling through Redemption Arcadia to you, if you don't know Christ, come and be reconciled. Be reconciled today. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Obviously, in this paragraph, everything is built around that phrase, though, new creation. Everything works towards it. Everything works from it. The center of that is the fact that if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creation. 
And I know there are days, I talk to people all the time. I don't feel much like a new creation today. I'm a little bit dry. Things aren't going well. That's that already but not yet tension that we have to live in. But scripture tells us that even though we don't feel like a new creation still in this broken world, if we are in Christ, God sees us as righteous and holy. He sees us as a new creation. We are new creations. That's why so often in Paul's letters, at some point in his letter, he will say something like, Therefore, walk in a manner, live your life in a manner that is worthy of your calling in the gospel. So he's constantly encouraging us to understand we are saved. Now let's live into our new identity of being a new creation. Uh, Thursday, December 2nd, I had a wonderful opportunity. There is um, a family that attends here and, and the husband and father, he is what... He would describe, and trust me, after hanging out with this guy for a while, I would describe him the same way. He says, I'm a connector, and he is definitely a connector. So do you all know what a connector is? A connector is somebody who's always thinking in terms of, how do I get this person connected with this person? Because I think that, that, not matchmaking, and it's not romantic. We're talking about marketplace networking, ministry networking, connecting people so that they can, the one plus one becomes three or four. And that's what he does, and he's really good at it. And so... He, he texted me and he said, hey, I, I would really like you to help me set up a meet, greet, and tour of the Hope Women's Center down on McDowell that we are ministry partners with. Um, I want you to set something up so that uh, the two of us and this friend of mine who's a doctor at a local hospital here in the core of Phoenix, the central core of Phoenix, he has heard about Hope Women's Center, but he wants to get introduced and get a tour. He thinks he might be able to help them. He's got some resources. He's got some way to, ways to maybe be able to help them. He's a Christian guy, and he wants to get introduced. So could you help me do that? And so, yeah, we've, I fixed that up. And on Thursday, December 2nd, we went down there. And it turned into an absolutely amazing uh, time. And, and I, just based on that meeting and how excited this doctor was, I think this is going to be really good for Hope Women's Center. There's going to be a lot of stuff that um, he's going to be able to help them with. But secondarily... Something else happened when I was there. I, I had not physically gone down to Hope Women's Center and seen Tammy, who is the CEO of Hope Women's Center. I hadn't been down there or seen her or been on a tour of the place in, in a little over a year. Now, I've been down there before several times, but it had been more than a year. And so I got to sort of walk through that all again and hear Tammy talk about it again and talk to some of the other staff members and volunteers sort of all new and afresh. And I was absolutely blown away. I was reminded of everything that the Hope Women's Center is doing. And it is absolutely incredible. And, and those of you that know me, I am really not one for language like this. But I have no other way to describe it. As I walked through, my heart just soared. It just soared. I was, I was amazed. And, and here's what I realized. The Hope Women's Center staff and their volunteers are new creation people. They are living out 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in an incarnational and sacrificial way. Women come into their center and they come in as part of the broken, old, created disorder and I would say they come in that way on steroids. 
They have way more problems than most of the people in this room. They're in deep, deep trouble. They've been abused. Some of them have been trafficked. They've been certainly abandoned, not only by whatever men might have been in their life, but they've been pretty much abandoned by everybody else. And, and they're caught in this cyclical poverty. And what Hope Women's Center gives them is grace and unconditional love. And they give them Jesus. And they give them training. And they give them resources so that they can start standing on their own two feet and making way in this broken world. Essentially what they're doing is they're giving these women their new creation self. That's what they're doing. Hope Women's Center is new creation ministry in action. And like I said, this ministry is not only a new creation ministry, but it's also sacrificial. I mean, the people who are there, the staff and the volunteers, they're pouring their hearts into this. This isn't just some gig for them. And it's incarnational. Like Jesus, Hope Women's Center has built a tabernacle in an area of the city that is thoroughly under-resourced and desperately needs that light in that neighborhood. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In other words, no matter what you and I put on in this broken world in order to hide, mitigate, or mollify our sin and brokenness, it's going to fall way short of Jesus. It might feel good for a minute or two, but it falls way short because it's temporal. Jesus is eternal and infinite. And, and here's the other thing about Hope Women's Center and the brokenness of those women and our brokenness. I want you to hear this too. You and I may not, and I would even argue probably are not broken in the way that the women at Hope Women's Center are broken. But you and I are broken nonetheless. Brokenness is universal. Brokenness is universal. How we're each broken is unique to each of us. And some of us have certain advantages that, that seem to make that brokenness not feel as heavy or as important or weighty. But the problem is Satan and the corruption of this world has gotten us too. Just, it's just gotten us differently. And the challenge is that we probably don't realize it as readily because Satan is clever and he is stealthy. So we too need to put off the old and put on the new. Consider Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Last thing I want to talk about is this idea of the new creation through the lens of Paul writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4. So the letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus is similar to a lot of his other letters in that the first half of the letter is heavy doctrine. It's all about the gospel. It's very academic if you want to use those terms. But like Paul does in most of his other letters, he gets about halfway through and then he writes, therefore. 
And he transitions from the truth of the gospel into how that should be applying to your life and how your life is transformed and how you're supposed to go out and live out this reality of the gospel in your life. So he says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, call you to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you've been called, worthy of the gospel, in all manner of love and patience. And he starts to go into this, because the gospel is true in your life and you are now in Christ, this is how you should be living. And he does that for a few verses. And then he goes into uh, several verses where he talks about If you are in Christ, you also have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have a spiritual gift that you get to contribute to the church. And and uh, in several places, he talks about the church as a body and and that a body has several members. In order to be a, a total, complete working unit, it has several different members doing several different things. And God has gifted us each in different ways so that we could all come together and be a body with Christ as the head, but all of us are a part of it. I, I tend to consider myself an elbow. Not, not very pleasant to look at, but the arm doesn't work without the elbow, okay? Some, some of you are eyes and ears and hands and feet and other things. There's one of you out there has got to be a pinky toe. That's what you are. But we're all part of the body. We're all important. And so he talks about those gifts. And then starting in verse 24, I'm sorry, starting in verse 17, he writes this. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. No longer walk as somebody who does not know Christ. That's what it means to walk as a Gentile does. You are now to walk as though you know Christ. Walk means live your life. Because the Gentiles, those who don't know Christ, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as, to, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, there it is again, Paul pointing to the new creation. You know, we we talk a lot about sin here and how we're broken, and and that's just true. We are. And we have to talk about that so that you understand that you have a need for the good news. If we don't talk about the bad news, there's no point in, in talking about the good news, okay? But we need to remember that the good news is really good and it far outweighs the bad news. And that's what Paul is saying. We are now new creations. That's how God sees us in Christ. So work on living into that new creation. And then he gives some counsel in 25 through 32. And that counsel is like, you know how you used to lie a lot? Okay, we'll put off the lying. But it's not enough to quit lying. Now you also have to do what? Start telling the truth. Use your tongue not to discourage people, but to encourage them and to build them up. You know how you used to steal stuff, take stuff? You know, you were a thief once. And I know some of you are like, I've never stolen anything in my life. You know that paper clip from work that you took home? 
Yeah, I know, it's not a big deal, but here's the thing, you're a thief without any imagination. You need to think bigger as a thief. But we're taking, okay? He says, quit taking, start working, and work in a way that you can then, out of the overflow of that work, start to give to other people as well. He's saying, put off this old self, this old, broken, disordered self, and put on the new self, because that's who you are in Christ. You are a new creation. Paul O'Brien writes this. The Bible does not deny that who we are in Christ were, we were various things. We were addicts, we were hateful, we were prideful, idolaters, swindlers, sexually misguided. The Bible doesn't deny that's who we were, but now insists that that's what we were. We were those things. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The emphasis in Scripture now is on what we are now in Christ and what we are called to be. The Christian doesn't say, hello, my name is Frank and I am an X, Y, or Z. The Christian says, I was dead, but now I'm alive. The Christian says, I am a struggling sinner and yet I am a saint. The Christian says, I am a new creation. I am transformed. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are no longer part of the broken, disordered creation. You are a part of the new creation. That's who you are in Christ. And by the way, remember in Romans chapter 8, if you read through Romans chapter 8, you even get to the verses where Paul says, even the rocks are upset about being broken, and they are crying out for restoration and recreation. This whole universe wants to be recreated. And God comes to us and says, you are now a new creation. Here you go. In Christ, we are even better off than Madonna. That should be encouraging. Maybe we should pray for her. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful, and I would say we should even be stunned by what you have done for us in Christ. That you have taken those of us who are broken, who have transgressions and sin, and still struggle with our flesh, and you've made us into we've, you've made us into the righteousness of your Son the holiness that you have always intended for us. And when Jesus comes again, when your son comes again, we get to be with him forever and ever and ever. God, we thank you for that truth. I pray right now that if this is new to anybody, never heard this before, I pray that your spirit would be working right now with them. I pray that if they have questions, they would have the courage, you would give them the courage to be able to at least ask questions. I remember being at that point in my life too. I didn't want to ask questions because I didn't want to hear a sales pitch. God, grant us the grace to not give a sales pitch, but be willing to submit to the power of your spirit. Help us to be able to do that. God, it's my prayer for Redemption Arcadia that we would live as new creation people. 
that we would live incarnationally, sacrificially, and that we would live as salt and light. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing another song and a half together with the choir, but as we do that, we're also going to take communion. This is our time of reflection and, and prayer, singing, worship. It's a time of response as well. And so when you're ready, when the Spirit leads you and moves you, I know usually we think, oh, there's an order to this. We kind of go front to back. That's great, but when you're ready and you want to come and take the elements, come and grab one of the communion kits, take it back to your seat, and when you're ready, when the Spirit moves you there, take the elements as well. The the little wafer, that's the bread. That's Christ broken on the cross for us. And then the little thimble full of juice, that's the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. That in that, we proclaim that we are new creations. And then as you're led again by the Spirit, please stand and join us as we sing this last little bit, and then Tyler James will come up and give us our benediction.
You know, those words we just sang were from Isaiah 9. I'll read this as our benediction. For to us, church, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Church, go in that peace. Live all of life, all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.